Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 26. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today you're going to listen to Brian Knapp, a health gracie black belt and the co-founder of Countermove Fantasy MMA. He talked about self-control, personal responsibility, and taking ownership. Stay tuned right after the Live Jiu-Jitsu message. Oos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Live Jiu-Jitsu. Live Jiu-Jitsu supports social projects in Brazil and the United States who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to buy new mats, uniforms, tournament registrations, and the monthly expenses of these projects. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coaches donate all the profit of t-shirts and patches sales to Live Jiu-Jitsu. For more information, please visit www.liveju-jitsu.org. It's www.liveju-jitsu.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Brian Knapp. Brian is a black belt in Jiu-Jitsu under Half Gracie. He has placed third at the IBJJF World Championship black belt masters division and brian has been a high-tech startup executive for 20 years and he's also an intellectual property and technology contracts attorney he also holds a bachelor's in business administration he is a two-time startup co-founder including countermove fantasy mma which startup invented modern day fantasy gaming for martial arts countermove was backed by five-time ufc champion randy couture was voted Rookie of the Year product in 2015 by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association and was featured in Forbes magazine online. Countermove was eventually purchased by DraftKings, which is today the world's leader in all fantasy sports and online betting. Brian most recently started a new role at Amazon's Lab 126 division as a global business development principal focused on Amazon's Fire TV and other Alexa devices. Brian lives with his wife and yoga teacher, Julie, and their son, Miles, in San Francisco. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Professor, and I'm so glad we could connect. Awesome. So how did the BJJ show up in your life? So in college, I was a wrestler. I had wrestled since I was in the sixth grade, uh, and that was a really big part of my life. Uh, all the way through high school, we had a very special high school team. I was a section champion and went to the States. And there was just always a lot of camaraderie and a lot of tough love from my coaches. And uh, wrestling became a really core part of my life. And I wrestled in college at, at William & Mary. And when I was at William & Mary, I saw some of the first cage fighting. I think it was extreme. It was pre-UFC. It was extreme fighting. Um, there were no gloves, right? And it was before mixed martial arts really became truly mixed, right? Uh, Bruce Lee was probably the first to do that. Um, but 
most of the disciplines, people were expert in one or the other. And as you recall, I'm sure, at that time, the jiu-jitsu guys, the wrestlers, and maybe a couple street fighters like Tank Abbott were doing really well. And in particular, the Gracie family, of course, was just dominating. And I saw what they were doing. And as a fellow grappler, I thought it was super impressive. And uh, fast forward a few years after graduating, I moved to San Francisco and drove by uh, Half Gracie School. It was on Valencia Street in San Francisco at the time. And I said, um, and I, I got to go in there. I got to join. And uh, I walked through the door, and, and Kurt Osiander was at the front desk. Um, it was it, it was a very serious jujitsu academy at the time. Let me put mm-hmm. it that way. <laughs> and I joined, and I've been doing it with Half uh, ever since, ever since two thousand. And how does BJJ relate to life? You know, I, for me, it's uh, really a few aspects of it. Uh, and so n- number one is uh, it has helped me train mentally to find presence and focus in uh, very difficult situations, right? Uh, obviously, if you're being choked, if you're very close to being finished, or if you're just tired, you're on your fifth match of six matches in a round, you've still got to find a way to have presence and stay focused and keep calm, right? Um, and, and that's, you know, uh, Hickson always says the, the mental game in your breath could be the most important part of it. And so I think if you can find that presence and focus in jujitsu, you can find it in other parts of your life. Uh, so if you're, even if you're just driving in a crowded city or you're having to work late or you're interacting with a, in a difficult situation with a partner or a family member. And I think if you come back to that training that you've given yourself, that mental training to be successful in jiu-jitsu, uh, you can maybe find and calm yourself and focus and presence in the difficult and challenging times. Um, you, know, you know, it's also helped me, it's been my escape when I've gone through difficult times in my life. And uh, I can't say enough about the camaraderie and the community uh, it's a it's a way to be around diverse people. So I work in technology, and I'm very proud, and I love that I work in the technology industry. Uh, but there's not always the diversity of people that I want to be around, and I want my family to be around. And I'm always amazed that you have all walks of life participating in jujitsu, um, and we all take our clothes off, you know, and, and put our geese on, and we're all the same at some level, no matter where we came from, uh, no matter what our job is, no matter what our background is, when we get on the mat, um, there's a camaraderie and a community and we're all the same at some level. We're just there to learn and share in this very, very special martial arts. So I've always really loved that about it and I have many deep friendships um, from jiu-jitsu uh, of people that I never would have met probably in the other communities, communities that I'm in. I love that you mentioned about the self-control that you develop in jiu-jitsu, not only in training, but I always mention to how important it is, I don't know, that every jiu-jitsu practitioner should try to compete at least once. And do you feel that the competitions helped you too with the self-control, dealing with under-pressure situations? I do. I, I have to tell you, I, have, I, I am still working on that part of the journey. Mm-hmm. It is still very difficult for me to find the right 
mental balance. Um, and I've gone everywhere from getting really amped up listening to music, you know, right before the match to trying to be completely relaxed and laying in the bleachers. And I think I land ultimately somewhere in between. Um, the other part that I'm still working on is uh, when I'm on the mat actually competing is um, not letting the voices inside my head uh, start to creep up and to really, really stay focused and in the moment, paying attention to the score, trying to listen to my coaches, keeping up the pace because the time is going. So, you know, that that's somewhere where I, while I've had some success in, uh, in these tournaments, I still have a long way to go in my journey around the mental game for training. Um, I will tell you that I think I've gotten better at it leading up to the tournament mm-hmm. and having a healthy perspective around that right so not overtraining. if i have to lose weight doing it gradually um, having balance making sure i'm getting enough rest um, uh, making sure i'm enjoying that part of the journey and i'm remembering that part of the reason i compete in in general is because i just want to uh, get deeper into the game and i think one of the best things that signing up for a competition brings out in you is you will train more, you will pay more attention, you yep. will work on your weaknesses, you will learn the rules, you will ask questions, right? And so I completely agree with you, Professor. There's no question uh, that if you just sign up for one tournament, it will change your jujitsu journey for the better. Yeah, and I feel that it's important too that you be self-aware about it. Like you just mentioned that, you know, that you still got, you know, things to work on in a mental game, but this is important that you are aware of it. They're like, you know what? I have room to grow because the issue is I have this, this content on my website, wgmentalcoach.com, which is the top 10 mental mistakes jujitsu competitors make and how to avoid them. And one of the mistakes is to underestimate the importance of mental preparation. Like, yeah, nah, you know, I just need to work, work out harder. I need to get more DVD sets or online training or, the new CrossFit gym, you know, all that stuff helps. Don't get me wrong. But one of the most frustrating things I think you can agree and all the listeners listen to this that when you go to a tournament and you lose to yourself is way worse than getting submitted because when you're submitting, like, all right, you got me, man. Hey, clap and let's move on. But when you leave the mat knowing that, man, that was not me there, that is such a frustrating feeling in Something was holding you back, or for the listeners, you got to understand something was holding you back, and it's your responsibility to find out the source and work on it because a lot of the negative patterns that might be holding you back in competition might be holding you back in your personal and professional life. Maybe you go for a presentation, and now you just you just froze, you just cracked under pressure. And I feel that you just, just especially the competition, it's such an amazing training for that to be calm, stay focused and center, like you said, and develop your best, whatever that is performing jujitsu or performing in a job interview or your pitch and your product, whatever that is, you have to stay focused. You said something very important there, I, I think, and, and I was listening, we were talking a little bit before we started about my good friend Ben Kovacs and Guardian Jim and all the amazing things he was doing. And then in your podcast after that, you talked a lot about the mental game. 
and how you have to take responsibility for your self-critic, as you call it, I think your dark passenger, mm-hmm. um, and you have to manage those voices in your head, right? And I think uh, signing up for a competition, uh, you have to visualize success. You have to particularly not visualize um, losing, right? You cannot spend your mental time on that. And I think even if you... Uh, you know, if you can't bring yourself to visualize winning, at least break it into components and visualize yourself doing the things you would need to do to win. You know, I, I heard a great sports psychologist who who worked with a pitcher talk about this concept of not focusing your mental visualization and your mental game so much on winning or losing, but what are the steps you need to do to take to win that you know you need to do to take to win? So do you have a game plan? Do you need to warm up ahead of time? Uh, do you need to, uh, you know, approach the mat and the match in a certain way? Do you need to rem- remind yourself to pay respects to the referee? You know, what Whatever it is, what are those little steps you need to take along the way so it doesn't seem so overwhelming and and deterministic, uh, but you're visualizing healthy, constructive aspects of it um, and staying not just a positive mindset, but really constructive mindset. And, you know, and like you just said, you really have to take ownership of that, um, that mental game. And especially for all the entrepreneurs who listen to this, whether you, you compete or not, one of the things that I always mention with the BJJ Mental Coach is that, yeah, you cannot control the outcome, period. You can't control if you're going to win. You can't control if you're going to land this new job or this new project or whatever. You can't control that. The only thing you can do is to influence the outcome, how preparing yourself to the best of your ability and doing exactly what you just said, covering all the specific areas, what works for you. You know, don't think that, you know, someone got to recipe to, oh, you just do this. No, each one is going to develop their own thing. Like you mentioned, different phases that you, you're you in tournament. I, and I relate, resonate 100% with what you said. Sometimes you're like, you amped up and got this music. Sometimes you relax. And like, Man, I was way too relaxed, almost like flat. You know, so finding that balance. But I feel that it's up to you, to, um, to you like the listener, to make sure that, yeah, man, uh, you have to take responsibility of take care of your your mental preparation, not only for jujitsu, but important under pressure situations that you, you find yourself in. Now, when was a time that you found a spark to pursue more of an entrepreneurial approach? When was a time in life? How, how was your mindset back then? I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, so uh, Counter Move is probably you know one of my favorite examples. So I I, uh, I founded Counter Move with uh, my best friend Aaron Ard, who is uh, also started at Half Gracie even before I did in the late '90s. Uh, he's a black belt under Salo um, out of the Midwest, and uh, he and I were just talking about the trajectory of martial arts, how passionate we were about the sport, what it had brought to our lives, and we really wanted to launch a company to do something for the fans, for the fighters. And uh, so we, we started just brainstorming about it, emailing, meeting in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, one thing I'll say about entrepreneurship is uh, <laughs> it always takes longer than you think it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> it's always more difficult than you think it's going to be. Um, and so Aaron and I literally for about two years uh, just brainstormed about what 
exactly we were going to launch. Um, and once we decided on the potential of fantasy, Aaron is a big fantasy football and baseball player. And he said, there's nothing really like fantasy football that most people play. There's nothing really like that for MMA. Uh, there's some pick 'em games where you pick the winners and losers, but there's no notion of picking a team and, and getting scores and points and competing against the rest of the people in a big tournament. And, and that's what we wanted to bring to the world. And so, and then we took that phase, um, and we started playing it on spreadsheets among friends and family, right? So it wasn't like uh, the journey was something uh, that was, you know, we raised a bunch of money and launched in a few days and nothing like that. You know, it really was us saying, we're really passionate about this. We want to give back to the community. We think we can launch something amazing here, given our skill sets as partners. Um, and then it really took a couple of years to figure out even what we we're going to launch. Got it. And now during this process, I always like to ask about fears and doubts and how to deal with that, you know, the negative voice that say like, what are you doing, Brian? You know, so what, how do you, how did you deal with those voices? And you still do, but back then, how was the mindset? It's, it is a, so entrepreneurship is, at least for me, uh, it is a constant struggle. And mm -hmm. it is uh, challenging. It's 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 really nothing like um, what you see in the media of kind of the more glamorous um, success bias or Silicon Valley on the HBO show. Uh, for the most part, it is truly a grind, mm -hmm. and it is very scary and very difficult and it's day to day. And I think, you know, the biggest thing being an entrepreneur, which is fundamentally different than just joining somebody else's startup is you're out there on your own. It's completely up to you. It's like being on the mat in a tournament. There's no one else to look to. You have to own it, right? Whether it's customer service, the website working, financing partners. Um, and so for me, I think it really comes down to two things. Uh, you talk a lot about uh, trying to find something you're passionate about and pursuing that, right? And, um, you know, I think that's an easy thing to say, and a lot of people say it. And I try to help entre entrepreneurs understand, actually connect the dots to why that matters. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to have to be up late fixing this when everybody is out drinking when your significant other wants to go out to dinner when you want to just go to sleep get some rest and then guess what you have to wake up early in the morning and keep at it again and maybe it's your sunday and you thought you're going to take the day off and so really doing something you're passionate about is going to bring out the best in you and i think actually most importantly it's going to drive you to push through the challenges so when counter move is really hard the website went down sometimes customers are unhappy. I will tell you one time, I actually risked my life kayaking back across a bay in California because I had gotten to this remote camping site. I looked at my phone one more time and Aaron said, the website's down. It's 11 o'clock, it's pitch dark, and I have to, I just kayak to this remote location. So I literally have to kayak back across the water. It's dangerous, it's dark, there's no one to help me if I tip over. I'm not some expert kayaker. I get back to my car, I'm 
absolutely freezing. I have to drive three miles to get reception to talk to Aaron about what's going on. And then I end up leaving the people who I'd gone there with, driving home to spend the entire night working on customer service because the website went down. And so I will tell you, you will not do something like that unless you're truly passionate about what you're working on. Yeah, I always mention this to the how important it is to have the balance of the intrinsic and the extrinsic motivation. Because if you're only focused on the extrinsic motivation, the rewards, the money, and all that, very often people, when the hard times come, enough, absolutely they will come. A lot of people may end up cracking and, and leaving. So that's why the intrinsic motivation, the whatever why you have, the passion needs to be there. If not, someone be like, man, I'm sick of this. Why am I going to do that? You know, I'm done. So it's very important to have the intrinsic, extrinsic balance. Now, what would you like, what concept would you like to share with the listeners, with them, uh, all the entrepreneurs and people in transition that are, are listening, listening to us as well, what kind of concept would you like to share that would help in their entrepreneurial journey? So there's a one concept that is really the most important to me and I, I try to keep coming back to in my life is ownership and personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And Professor, you mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, but I, I think for me, that, that is maybe the most core concept uh, personally is that uh, this is my journey. I own it. Um, and I need to have a sense of urgency about making things happen if I want to change my life, if I want to get involved, if I want to have the life that I, you know, I want to live. Um, I do actually find that empowering. Taking personal responsibility can be a difficult acknowledgement, certainly, and it can feel overwhelming. But on the other hand, uh, by taking personal responsibility, there is the implication that you can uh, move the ball forward, that you can handle these challenges, that you can do something about your life. So I actually think it's very empowering to not... And, and some of this gets back to one of my favorite books, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. which is focusing on your circle of influence and not using words like they, them, if only, when I get rich, I'll do this. It's, it's, it's I and it's me and it's I will do this. And, and I actually think that it's very difficult, but it's very empowering to give yourself um, the confidence, the vote of confidence that you can move forward on this. Um, and, and I think once you have that ownership, uh, some other things start to lock into place um, that you need. So number one, and Jason Robbins at DraftKings, he's, he's a, a really inspirational leader and I've learned a lot from him. Uh, and he likes to say, you've just got to keep pouring it on. And what he means by that is you've got to create your own momentum. So you've really just got to keep up a consistent level of intensity and a sense of urgency to develop your own momentum. And this may be just in very scrappy ways. So for example, when we started CounterMove, for about a year and a half while the website was being built, Aaron would manage our Twitter account. And every day he would research and try to post something interesting about martial arts or jujitsu or something funny. 
and he would interact with the community. So we actually spent uh, almost two years while we were building the site, conceptualizing it, developing it, uh, just starting to build a community. And he would just get up and do that every day. And um, I will tell you, especially as an entrepreneur, you have to always believe there's something you can do. No matter what it is, you don't need someone else's money. You don't need someone else to show up. Uh, you don't need, uh, you know, a special logo or even a special name. You can put one foot in front of the other and there's always something you can find to do to move the ball forward. And I think if you develop that as a habit and a mentality, it will uh, end up sort of inspiring you and yourself almost every day. Uh, the last thing I'd like to mention is, and, and a lot of this comes back to the community that is jujitsu, is having good partners and team members is absolutely critical. And, you know, you asked before how I kept myself motivated in the hard times. One was following something I was passionate about. Two is having a partner like my, like my co-founder, Aaron Ard, uh, because you have to keep each other going. You'll, you'll have to keep each other motivated. You'll have to, um, you know, work through things together. And so the people you choose to work with and you surround yourself with uh, are absolutely critical. Not only that they are talented, that they also take ownership, but that you can um, feel like you have a trustworthy, constructive, um, complementary partnership with these people because when it gets hard, it's going to be on you to work it out almost like a family. Um, we later added another, another half black belt to the team, Christy Sullivan, who became our president. Uh, she's still working at DraftKings. She's a phenomenal, phenomenal marketing talent. Um, obviously, she's a teacher. She's a competitor. Uh, so it was really three of us black belts uh, from Half Gracie uh, driving this forward uh, to the success that it ultimately was. And um, there were also uh, several other people. So I mentioned Randy Couture before. His lawyer and, and business partner, Sam Spira, um, they were actually instrumental in introducing us to uh, many in the MMA community, uh, giving us tons of advice. Randy, we were really blessed and honored to be able to use his name and, and his likeness and have him promoting us. Um, there were several other people who invested in the business uh, from the jiu-jitsu community. Mm -hmm. uh, Christian Ostlin, he's at YouTube, and uh, my friend Michael Chung. And so we really brought a strong community of people around it to help develop it. Um, so I think as an entrepreneur, while you're taking personal responsibility, you're also trying to build a team and put a team around it as well. Mm -hmm. And back to the personal responsibility. And uh, I, I always mention how it's the mental skills is a practice, you know, for you just be, how you mentioned about positive and focus and present, all that. Some people maybe be more natural than others with this. But I like to say that physical skills like jiu-jitsu, you know, if you stop practicing jiu-jitsu for a long time, you lose some timing, you know, you're going to forget some stuff and get kind of rusty. And I feel that the, the mental skills, it's kind of in the same way. You always maybe journaling or meditating or listening to positive information, reading positive books, personal development, and then you completely stop and neglect yourself. That voice just start coming a little more often yes. and next thing you're not filtering as often yes. and uh, so that's the part of people need to practice this, this habit that you, you mentioned you know you know the grind and all that and 
it's so I, I don't think people realize how much of a practice this is. I was speaking last week and in Tampa and someone asked me about tournament preparation and so forth and with a, in a, when you're doing a Q&A. And I mentioned to them, man, by any means, whatever I'm saying here, this is the formula. People have different ways to prepare themselves and especially me in different moments of my life, I mean, especially being over 40. Of course, I'm not going to, uh, there's so much that I can do. But uh, one of the things I mentioned to them, like I focus kind of a lot on my mental training like a lot in, in listening to information, visualizing, writing, journaling, everything. Because I know how much has helped me in affecting other areas of my life. So big thing that people not to underestimate is that the, the practice of the mental skills. It's not sometimes people buy one of my products and I say, this is not a magical pill. You know what I mean? There's no... You know, I would say there's good news and bad news. The bad news that, you know, there's no magical pill that is just going to take some woo, anxiety is gone. I compete and I'm the, I can compete to the best of my ability and transfer my training. Great. But in you know, the good news that you, you can learn how to control those negative patterns, those thoughts. And that's in jujitsu, that it's in business and everything. So yes. that helps if, you, if you're not self-aware that oftentimes going to be tough to take ownership and personal responsibility and, and what you do because um, if you're not focused the next thing, you're listening to that voice, next thing you're blaming others and this and that. And at the end of the day, it's, it's your show. It's, it, it's you. It's your movie. You can decide whatever you want to play in your mind. You know, you're the main actor. You wrote the script. So always be surrounded mention about other people and other people who are positive that are going to not hold you back and move you away from where you're trying to accomplish. So you need to have that self-awareness plus the social awareness as well, I like to say, because other people have dark passengers and a lot of them don't know how to filter and they're going to try to pass to you and you need to block them as well. You got to deal with your negative voice and others and filter like what do you accept or you don't. Now, what did you say in, in your journey? What has been a struggle that you had and what did you learn from it? Yeah, I, you know, I think people are, uh, other people you bring in, your team is the most important element. It can also be the most challenging. True. And, um, you know, so at my last startup, it uh, was ultimately called Relive AI for Relive Artificial Intelligence. And there was a VP or an executive who wasn't taking ownership. It was the bottom line. And um, this person was highly compensated. I gave them a lot of real-time feedback. Uh, the team uh, was, you know, concerned. And it was just consistently not taking ownership of the situation we were in. And startups are a big commitment. You know, you don't have to do them. Uh, but just know if you join them, it's a very big commitment because there's a lot of risk involved. Most of them fail. Nine out of ten or so fail, right? And that's okay. It's part of the learning. Uh, but it means that you really have to take ownership in your roles that you accept and in uh, having the company be successful. And, and this person wasn't doing it. And it was exacerbated by the fact that they were a high-profile executive, they were highly paid. And, you know, so for me, the lesson learned, um, I did not let this person go soon enough. Got it. And, and that's still, um, you know, 
bothers me to this day. I, I'm trying to forgive myself for it, uh, but I should have let them go faster. I think that it, I wasn't any sort of any more correct about the decision given that I waited nine months. Would I have been if I had done it in two or three months? And the thing you have to realize is it's it's probably like a bad, you know, a, a kid that's misbehaving in a classroom. You're affecting everybody else in the room when you're not dealing with the situation. And it yeah. started to impact the rest of my team. It started to impact uh, my culture. It actually started to impact me personally because I'd be frustrated on the weekends when I was really trying to spend my family time. So it, it really had a very high impact. And for some reason, I just didn't move quickly enough uh, to terminate this person, have them move on. And, you know, it's very possible that they'll be highly successful in another scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you have to keep that in mind as an entrepreneur and a leader is um, sometimes you just have to move on, um, get somebody because maybe they're going to be successful. Maybe they're just on the wrong bus and they're going to be successful in a different place, in a different environment with a different team, but this is not the right fit. And you have to be brave and you have to take courage um, and you have to, I think, move much more quickly than you even think you do um, on uh, the people issues. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that is probably the biggest lesson for me is really, if you're going to accept the leadership role, you have to move uh, very quickly. If there's any signs of someone not working out, it doesn't always have to be a termination, uh, but it's probably one of the the most important roles you have as a, as a manager and a leader. I agree with you 100% because I had other people that came here, Tim Crater, Robert Drysdale. We talk about staff situation and I agree with you and I resonate because it's it was my uh, struggle one of the bigger ones I had and was definitely that and you mentioned about the buzz which reminds me I I believe it was I I don't remember one of the final thoughts that I did I shared this concept from good to great the book by Jim Collins love that book yeah amazing book and talk about the lesson of the buzz. And this is how we go. And this, I'm going to describe in a way that the listeners can, can picture maybe for your business. So just imagine that your business is a bus. Okay, I don't care what kind of bus that is. And the sign of the buzz is basically your vision. Where exactly you're trying to go? What are you trying to accomplish? And the main thing they talk about in this concept is in order for this bus to start moving or get to the destination that you're looking for, is three things need to happen. Number one, the right passengers need to be on the bus. The second one is the right passengers need to be sitting on the right seat because, as you mentioned, some people maybe, you know, uh, um, maybe they not fit this bus. And that's the case of the third one of, like, if they don't align with the vision of the bus, they must leave the bus, right? And that's very uncomfortable. Before that, with the second one, Maybe they're sitting in one position that you tried in a different seat and they shine over there. You know, it's it's like a football team and got this quarterback and you put him as a lineman. Like, well, he's supposed to be on a bus, but he ain't supposed to be sitting on that seat, but he's supposed to be there. So you, so you can try to manage and put it different ways. And if it's not working, you have to definitely ask for people to, you know, leave the bus in order to actually get to the vision. So this is something that I have struggled a lot 
in the past, and now I handle a lot better. It's still always going to be uncomfortable. Anytime you're asking for someone to possibly leave the bus, it's like, ah, oh, man, this is so <laughs> awkward and it doesn't work. And it's, sometimes it's nothing personal. Maybe they can shine in a different bus. But for the vision that we have here, if they're not aligned with your vision, it's, you, better, you better act fast. You know, just yes. put all the just put all the information together, and I'm 100% with you on that. It's brutal, and then when look back and see, I I'm at peace. You know, Brian, I can say I'm at peace with my the ones that I'm like, oh boy, that was brutal. But I'm at peace that the same way with me and we, with you, we did the best we could with the emotional maturity that we had at that moment. If you yes. knew better, you'd have done better, but. It's it's part of the position. I never had a position before. Uh, suddenly, I'm like, okay, I'm a leader, and I'm like, am I? What do leaders do? I, mean, I don't know. It's just for me. It took me a while, and definitely, it's a long process that we all improve. So, books and seminars and listening to uh, great leaders, it's amazing to get ideas from it. Yes, yes. You know, and, and I think having courage, right, just in saying to yourself, part of this is just being brave and having courage. Huge the word. other side yeah. of it is um, that probably this is going to be better for that person in mm-hmm. addition to you and your team. So understand that while it'll be an awkward conversation and it'll be a difficult moment, I would, I would encourage people to have faith that it's actually better for the person you're letting go because probably they know it's not working out. The team know it's not working out. There's a reason for it around fit. And there's another great bus that they can go get on. And I actually think you're doing them, uh, you're doing right by them, especially if you can do it in a graceful way, allow them to leave with dignity, give them some feedback. If you can afford it, maybe you give them a little bit of severance or some runway or help them cover, you know, their Cobra healthcare or say, I would be willing to give you a reference on you know, this discrete uh, skill that you did well, Um, you know, think about how you can do it in a way that actually helps that person go get on their next bus um, and make sure above all that you let them leave with grace and dignity. That might mean that you do it over a weekend or you do it early in the morning or late at night, or uh, you think about, you know, do you trust them enough to allow them to hang around in the office a little while afterwards and say goodbye to people, right? And so, so there's, a lot of thought and preparation you can put into this to kind of do it the quote unquote right way. Um, but just have that courage and have that uh, understanding that really it's probably better for the person that you're letting go as well, because the right bus is out there for them. And at the same time, it's not completely in a way up to you because it depends on the person's mindset how are they going to take that to you? you may go in yes. with full intentions of on episode 24 i talk with jensen azaris and we talk about my my and the final thoughts i talk about mindset the book mindset from carol dweck talking about the fixed mindset and the growth mindset and if you're asking for someone to get off the bus that have a fixed mindset they're gonna blame they're gonna take any uh you know personal responsibility for what happened it's it can be brutal 
On the other hand, you can have someone with a growth mindset to take as a feedback and yes, I need to work, I need to improve. Yeah, you know, so there's so much that we can do. You can go with the, the best intentions possible, but on the other hand, I'm like, hey, let's see how this person's going to receive that, what kind of mindset they have, you know. Yes. So, you know, you mentioned that book. I just want to call that out. And uh, that is absolutely one of my favorite books. Um, the, the Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck. And I think what is really magical about that book that it can do for you is to approach things as a learning journey. And, and what it did for me is I had less hesitancy about leaning into things and taking action because I just looked at it. I wanted to learn and I wanted to learn as soon as possible. And I didn't take it personally if I got feedback or if I failed or if I stumbled. And I just had a different expectation around why I was doing what I was doing because it was about that learning mindset. And it gave me confidence. You know, Ben Kovacs talked about this too. It gave me confidence that I can learn my way into anything that I want to do. Um, and, and, and that it would just be a journey for me. And the only way to get there was to get started. Right. Um, so I, I just, just wanted to reemphasize that, that, that book by Carol Dweck is, is just truly magical for what it can do for people. I'd highly recommend it. Yeah. I think it's uh, I don't, I don't like to say like maybe like a top 10 or something books that people should kind of grab and like and take a <laughs> yes. look at the concept. You know what I mean? It's, it's very, very powerful. Yes. And uh, what do you, would you say that it's one high performance habit that you have that has helped you in jujitsu life professional? What did you say? So, you know, we talked a lot about ownership and I, and I think what um, I have is, and, and that's something I read, The Seven Habits I Affected People when I was very young, my mom gave it to me. And so that was one thing that stuck with me. And I think what comes, what drops out of that is a sense of urgency about my life. And people often tell me uh, that my sense of urgency can be a bit contagious and people that work for me, um, they don't always like it, but uh, they usually miss it when it's gone. And so I think for me, whether it's my personal life uh, with my family and leaning into that, my jujitsu practice, I have a deep yoga practice, my business uh, ventures, it's because I take ownership, I have a lot of sense of urgency of realizing that I have one life to live um, in this body and this in this mind. And um, I have to take ownership of that. And I have a limited amount of time and space. Um, and so I bring to it a certain level of urgency and intensity, which creates uh, habits and it creates consistency. Um, and so I think, you know, my, my days are um, pretty organized and I'm very thoughtful about my schedule and my time management. Uh, my health, my physical health is in addition to my mental health, um, how I treat my relationships. Um, so I'm just very uh, conscious of the way I'm going about my day to day and taking responsibility for how I am in the world and how I'm spending my time and my health. And all of that ultimately gets back to, you know, what we've spent a lot of time talking about is my taking ownership and personal responsibility uh, for, for my life. Yes. Now, what is the best advice that I've ever received? And I'll give you the, the freedom to choose if you want to say maybe it was jujitsu, maybe it was life, business, just something that what comes to your mind? <laughs> it was actually a friend of mine who is a, he's a beekeeper. 
and um, he's a very unique guy and he loves nature and, and um, he's a botanist and a beekeeper. And we're just talking about living in San Francisco. It's very interesting. Um, and, and you speak of this a lot, Professor, about comparing yourself to others. And, um, you know, I'll tell you what, here in Silicon Valley, there's always going to be someone richer, younger, you know, with a nicer car, right? So you will go crazy um, trying to live other people's lives. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you don't even know what's going on with their lives and what did they do to get there and what's happening personally and um, where they are inside. And so he said to me very simply, everybody's got to run their own race. And, and, and that, I think, really stuck with me in the way he said it and who he is. And here he's in the mecca of technology in Silicon Valley, and he's a beekeeper, and he couldn't love it anymore. And, and this notion that I'm running my own race, and everyone has to run their own race. And I think if you internalize that and see your trajectory as a journey, um, you will uh, embrace that journey in a way that allows you to get the most out of it and have confidence in that journey. You know, um, another thing that comes out of my wife's family is that you can do all you can do and then you give it to God. And, and that to me says that you can bring what you bring to the table and then you, whether you believe in God or you just believe in you're on a certain journey is that your time is going to come and things are meant to be the way they're meant to be. And the way you affect that is bring your best self, you know, that you want to bring to the world every day. And then you've got to let it go and, and be on that journey and just believe that your times are going to come, your success, how you define it is going to be there. And, and it may take longer. It may look differently than you imagined it, you know, when you were 22, uh, but it's going to be there and have confidence in that and have peace with it and have, belief that you're running your own race for a reason and, and you're unique in the world. Um, and, and so that advice and that saying that comes out of my wife's family is, is very important to me. And I, I, I often come back to it because it is easy to slip up mentally. Like you said, um, Professor, you, you have to uh, keep training yourself to come back and course correct and not look on Instagram, you know, too much and, and not believe that you should be there, you should be there and, and just believe that you have your own timelines, your own milestones um, and, and what you can do about it, kind of like we we're talking about in competing is you can bring your game plan, you can bring your training, you can work at it and then you've got to just give it up to that journey. Mm-hmm. Now, what advice would you give to your, the younger Brian when you start to get involved with entrepreneurship? If you had a chance to go back and tell him one thing, what would you say? I know that it's hard <laughs> to tell him one thing and be like, yes. how much time you got? Yeah. <laughs> one thing. Sure. Um, I would have, I would have, uh, so this is pretty specific to technology companies. I would have launched slower. Um, so I would have launched to a smaller subset of people. Um, and the reason is that, uh, well, first of all, the website crashed when you first launched because we had too many people on it, uh, which is, is maybe you would say a good problem to have, but in reality, it was unnecessary and we didn't need to launch uh, completely to the public then. So I think especially with technology companies, but maybe even with a school, with anything, if you can uh, start with smaller groups, of people 
and absolutely delight them and do an amazing job, A plus job with them and learn and iterate and start to uh, grow into your ability to scale it uh, is, a, is, is an approach that I would have absolutely taken with counter move and probably taken about three or four months of uh, opening it up to smaller groups, making sure that they were absolutely delighted and then uh, starting to scale it uh, to more people. Yeah, it always comes back. A lot of people, when I ask this question, a lot of them say patience, you know, and that's <laughs> yes, when, uh, yes. and that's what that is. We want to make it, you want to make it so, man, I want to get this done. I want to get this out. And sometimes, yeah, the patience, that's what kind of get us. But um, that's a great way to say it. Yes. Yeah. And I guess it's just learn from, from that for your next ventures. You know what I mean? That's all you can really do. Now, what book would you recommend and why? You mentioned about the seven habits, but is there any other book that you'd like to recommend that also made an impact on you? There are. Um, and and maybe one of my habits too, and I don't know, for me, I do think reading and uh, taking in books is very important. So one thing I started to do actually I used to read the newspaper every morning, and now every morning I start with a book and make mm -hmm. sure I read for five to ten minutes. Um, one that really helped me, and I would recommend it for almost anyone who is on an entrepreneurial journey or is considering it, and it's the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz. Uh, ben Horowitz was a longtime Silicon Valley technology executive. He's now uh, one of the co-founders with uh, Mark Andreessen of A16Z, a very prominent um, venture capital firm that they launched uh, not that long ago, actually, and it's become very prominent. They modeled it after uh, Creative Artist, Artist Agency and Mike Ovitz, what he did. But the hard thing about hard things, um, and I was actually reading the book at the time that I needed to fire that executive. And Ben talks a lot about those kind of situations where you've got to have the courage. Um, you've got to be brave. It's, it's really all on you to go make these hard decisions. Um, and much of entrepreneurship is about that and dealing, you know, <laughs> with the hard thing about hard things. So, so that's a book I'd, I'd highly recommend. I'm definitely interested. I, I like it. I like the, the, the title for sure. Now, what are you currently excited about? What's going on? Yeah, so uh, well, uh, my wife and I just had a baby, so I have my oh, six-month-old baby, thank you, uh, named Miles, and uh, so being a father, talk about ownership, right, you know, mm -hmm. is the most special thing I've ever done, and it's uh, really brought light to our world, and to watch him and what he does so naturally and inherently, and he smiles at you as soon as he sees you, so I've actually been trying to smile at people more when I see them. My son mm. taught me that already. Um, uh, professionally, I just joined Amazon, uh, their Lab 126 um, unit, and I had decided that I had done five startups, I'd co-founded two, and I really wanted a new career challenge. And so I said to myself, what's what's the most opposite of, of startups that I could do? And I wanted to go work at what I view as the number one company in the world uh, with the best culture. I think that they are highly innovative at a, at a 
grand scale. Um, and I was very excited about what Lab 126 was working on in particular with their uh, artificial intelligence voice assistant called Alexa and these devices that they're building for homes. Um, I happen to be working on the Fire TV, which is just a very cool smart TV platform. Um, and so I'm, I'm really honored to have started at Amazon a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, one thing just for really curious folks who want to learn more about Amazon and Jeff Bezos is his leadership principles. There are 14 leadership principles that you really have to understand and internalize um, as part of being an Amazonian. And, and I'm just beginning on that journey myself. Uh, but they're very interesting. And to watch Jeff talk about uh, how he has maintained this culture, we're almost 500,000 people now, uh, largely through these leadership principles is um, very interesting. So I'm, I'm just honored to be here and, and super excited about the future. Awesome. So for the, all the listeners, just stick around for my final thoughts. We're getting close to the end of the interview. So Brian, any message that you want to leave to the listeners? Plus, if anyone wants to connect with you, how they can find you. So yeah, so they can find me on LinkedIn. Sorry to cut you off, Professor. They can find me on LinkedIn, B-R-I-N-K-N-A-P-P. I'm also on Twitter. And, um, you know, I just wanted to uh, highlight the work you're doing, the nonprofit work you're doing. And we talked about Ben Kovacs and Guardian Gym. And I, I just love to see the jiu-jitsu community giving back and helping our communities. So, um, you know, I'd like to uh, help you out in the future. And I continue trying to help Guardian out when I have the time. Um, and, and so I think it's just very important that the jiu-jitsu community keep coming together and, and supporting those who can't help themselves as much. So th thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing in that regard. Awesome. So for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Thank you, Brian. Oos. Oos. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Brian Knapp. For those who are listening just to the final thoughts, Brian is a black belt from Health Gracie and he's the co-founder of Countermove Fantasy MMA. Countermove was voted Rookie of the Year product in 2015 by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association, and it was eventually purchased by DraftKings, which is today the world's leader in all fantasy sports and online betting. Hopefully, you were able to grab at least one good takeaway from the interview. He talked about self-control, personal responsibility, and ownership, which was my takeaway, and I'd like to share a little more with you. When he talked about ownership, right away I thought about the book Extreme Ownership by Jock Willink and Leif Babin. Very good book, by the way, and Jocko also has a very popular podcast. And in the book he states, quote, The leader must own everything in his or her world. There is no one else to blame. The leader must acknowledge mistakes and admit failures, take ownership of them, and develop a plan to win, unquote. And here's the thing, even if you feel that you're not a leader in your current profession, you're definitely the leader of your life. So if you want to achieve the success you desire, not the success society expects from you, you must take full responsibility for the choices that you make every single day. And the authors divided the book in three parts. Number one, winning the battle within extreme ownership. Number two, laws of combat. And number three, sustaining victory. 
and I'm going to focus on the first and most important one, the extreme ownership. For those who have been listening to the podcast, once in a while I mention a quote or a concept from Gary Vaynerchuk. He's a very successful entrepreneur. He's a digital marketing expert, and he always mentions, quote, everything that happens in my business is my fault, 100%, unquote. Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe that everything that happens in your business is your fault? And listen, I'm not trying to ask you to agree with me. I'm just asking, how do you feel about the statement? Personally, I agree 100% that everything that happens in my business is my fault. And that is the extreme ownership. In the book, they mention there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. And they show very good practical examples in a book. It was awesome. And I'd like to share a story with you. I knew this kid who started you just when he was 14 years old and his nickname was Guru. He was an introvert, socially awkward kid who struggled with ADHD. And in jiu-jitsu, he barely talked in class, just trained, kept to himself and would go home. And he repeated the same patterns during high school while starting to get involved with competitions. And during the college, he continued the repeat the patterns, just keep him to himself. However, by this time, you know, his efforts were being compensated, winning tournaments, having sponsors, and teaching at his team's affiliate school. It was the first time that he has ever achieved a leadership role. He became a leader, and he didn't even know it. And he did the best he could with what he knew. So when he graduated from college, he received his black belt and moved to the United States to pursue his dream of one day having his own academy. And guess what? Those old patterns went with him and he had no idea that he was a leader. <laughs> and Guru was naive and too young to realize the influence that he had in people's lives. And as his professional life started to pick up momentum, the business started to grow and he had to use the leadership skills that he didn't have. And I tell you what, I don't know what is your relationship with leadership roles, if you have struggled in the past or not. But one thing I can tell you, leadership is a skill to be learned and you must take ownership of the process of improving the skill. Guru didn't have good skills yet. However, as I mentioned, Leadership is a skill to be learned. And try to think about if you have to grade your belt in leadership, what would you say you are? Maybe someone can say, man, I think I'm a, I'm a brown belt. You know, I'm a really good leader. I've been doing this for a long time. I don't know. I don't know what belt you are, but I tell you what, Guru was leading his business and his school with a leadership knowledge of a white belt with no stripes. However, he invested in himself and his education and now in 2018, Guru is a better and always evolving leader who still makes mistakes but works very hard to learn from it. And he owns his academy that has 400 students and he's a tournament promoter for the past 20 years and has a podcast called the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. This is me and my relationship with leadership. And now let me clarify something here real quick. I'm not trying to impress you with my achievements and here just to pump my ego is just to convey to you that leadership is a skill and we all must work on it. And I didn't improve my leadership skills until I took full responsibility of my decisions or lack of. 
my first 10 years in the United States, I had no clue what leadership meant. A big part of me was still that socially awkward kid that just wanted to pursue his authentic life. And now my last 10 years have been dedicated to my personal growth, my business growth, and my growth as a leader. And I think I want to be a white belt forever in leadership because I have so much to learn about personal development and how to become an even better leader. And every so often, some issues come up with my business and my employees, which is normal. And and I've been creating the habit of always asking to myself, I ask like, okay, first, this is my fault, extreme ownership, and say, what is the lesson of this event? What is the message here? Reflect on the message, use as a feedback, and move on. When I look into some of the major issues that I have had with employees in the past, they were caused by bad leadership. My fault, lack of communication, taking too long to act on a problem, delegating but not following through with employee, ego, and straight up just lack of proper leadership from my end. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe we should be working together at all. It was better this way for both parts. Now, the process wasn't executed with consistent feedback and communication, which delayed improvement and growth from both parts. Now, check this out. I'm not trying to really preach at all here. I'm a human being just like you who make mistakes just like you. I'm just trying my hardest to learn from it as I go. And all I'm trying to say is, I'm not perfect, and you are not perfect. As a leader, you will make mistakes, and now as long as you take full ownership of the setbacks, keep investing your time and money in your personal development so you can keep developing your growth mindset, and most importantly, being open for feedback, not taking things so personal, always taking full responsibility of your ego, and you are on your way to become an even better leader. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.